Podcast Guide takes a long view and it takes a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, faithful reader. Welcome, fortunate seeker. This is Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil, where a historian and a literature scholar tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as Would you believe your eyes if 10 million fireflies appeared and turned into a swarm of devils? Is Marchford going to be okay? And What's it mean when the moon's red? Red moon at night, devil's delight. Red moon in morning, squire, take warning. Prayer and a sword gets better results than prayer alone. King Jahan the Wise. So, who's your favorite patron saint of France? I mean, there's only one answer, right? I have not actually checked, but oh, I don't, there I don't mean literally only one. I don't or, mean factually. Yeah, I don't mean factually. I mean, there's only one correct answer that we will accept here. Exactly. We stand farm girls doing war crimes. Amen. Well, there are versions of this attributed to Saint Joan all over, and it's exactly what King Jahan said there. Uh, the version I found by going through my Tumblr archive of things tagged Joan of Arc, because I'm me, the first version of it I found was act and God will act. And she is thought to have said things like this in response to why did God send you to lead armies rather than just save France? And she said, literally and exactly in the historical record, Prayer and a sword gets better results than prayer alone. And modern English didn't even exist yet. It was a vision. She's powerful. That works. That past tense. She's powerful. Well, the thing about saints is you can use any tense with them and you get away with it. I but, suppose. Yeah. Didn't she take an arrow to, a, to the neck and then keep fighting, even though she was 12? <laughs> yeah, but 12-year-olds don't really need their necks. Until you're, what, 25, 26? Your bones haven't fully developed, and you're just cartilage, so, right. so that neck, probably absorb the blow. Necks are pretty much just ornamental until you're about 25, yeah. <laughs> speaking of... What are we speaking of? Speaking of divinely appointed helpers on the field of war. Okay. Hakram. Are we... You don't want to do a summary of this chapter? Oh. I come no, to rely I had a on... transition. I, you did, but I kind of have come to rely on your summary, so I actually know what's going on in the chapter. So... In this chapter, we just found out that a demon's coming. Much like Joan of Arc found out that the English were present and also controlling one of the major factions in France and had been for a long time, except in this story, it's new and it's a demon. I might stop with trying to connect these. Why? You're doing a great job so far. So, initially there's panic in the room, much like when Joan went before... He was probably a Charles, right? Gotta be. They're, they're literally all Charles, which isn't even... Yep, Charles VII. There had already been seven. Uh, panic, like when Joan went before Charles and was able to 
demonstrate her sacred mission. But they realize they got to get out of Marchford because they can't fight a demon, much like the English could not fight Joan. And so they need to get the army out and maybe also evacuate the people. It's a debate. And much like Joan, Catherine is the voice of reason and says, we should evacuate them. Much like Joan said, we should lay siege to Orléans. And then, like Joan marched out, Catherine marched out to get the wounded who are coming back. And like Joan erupted into flames, a firefly erupts into a devil. Hey, honestly, nicely done. I worked very hard on that. And I think it's one of the most mediocre and miserable periods of my life. And I'm very proud of that. Well, I'm glad it was Speaking brief, of then. divine help, Thank you. Speaking of divine helpers, Hakram. Yeah. Uh, Ziz announces there's a demon and um, there's a bit of chaos as a result. Not directly. The demon's not chaosing people. The, the people are concerned because there's a demon. Uh, and we get uh, some reactions from the officers. They're all pretty upset about this. With two exceptions. First of all, Hakram. Because, one, he's Hawkram, and two, he's taking his cue from Kat, who is not freaking out about this, and, you know, the adjutant, it makes sense. And the other person is Juniper, who is just probably turned in instantly into problem-solving mode, because she's not somebody who's going to panic. So, you know, we get two, two people in the room who are not panicking, Kat excluded, because she's not one of the officers here, but... Do you think Istrid dealt with any demons? Not directly single-handedly or anything, of course, but do you think they came up in the, I expect not the conquest, but the civil war? Uh, I don't know. It seems less than likely, but definitely possible. Yeah, demons are the kind of thing that even in praise you don't necessarily expect to see in every civil war. Right. They, they're the kind of thing that had one been around in the civil war, there would be still be consequences and that I, as far as i know that doesn't get mentioned which doesn't Unless, mean of course we just forgot about a high seat oops man wouldn't that be fun to find out actually but yeah i think you can defeat wolof's army and you're probably fine but you can't defeat wolof right but the high seats themselves are never threatened in that kind of way because you know ugh, nobles cat though isn't a huge fan of the chaos that erupts and uh doesn't take too long before she does something about it. Well, you know, Catherine, she is a violent and brutish person, and so she re she resorts to her usual of lashing out at the nearest person or thing. Luckily, it's a thing, and it's a table. And she slams her palm against it, and it, quote, made a sound like a sharper exploding. And there are turns of phrase. We say things like a thunderous roar. We say... we talk about things being off like a shot, and they're not necessarily actually meaning they're equivalent. Because thunder can be, scientifically speaking, soups loud, and shots can be speedy. But Catherine has been around a lot of exploding sharpers. Catherine already has permanent hearing damage, I'm sure, from exploding sharpers. Uh, by the way, if you're listening to this with headphones, turn the volume down a little. You do not need it this loud. Your hearing is more important than us. Well, no. We're more important than your hearing, but your hearing is more important than this podcast. Well, I just turned mine up to spite you. Well, spite is more important than hearing. That's what mm. I'm saying. And I wonder if this is name stuff, but I'm forced to assume it is because 
She says, a moment later, a crack spread across a white wood table that looked like it was at least 100 years old, but I valiantly managed to ignore the fact that I just messed up an heirloom worth twice my yearly salary. You say name stuff. I think there's a simpler explanation here. Do you remember in the war games when Kat punched a sharper to take out an ogre? Her hand has sharper yeah. powers now. She punched a sharper, so now she can punch with sharper powers. It, I, mean, oh, I don't. I, it's not it, it, Mega Man style. Yeah, exactly. It's not a complicated. It's not you know a deep. It's just when you punch a sharper and survive, you get to punch with the power of a sharper. Now, I've never really played a Mega Man game, and oh, same. also I think it might be better to go with Kirby style. No, she didn't eat it. If Catherine had that kind of power, she would have so much. So summer wine power. It's, it's Mario style. You punch the block and the thing comes out, and then you have the thing. So she just punched a table. Does she have table powers now? Yeah, absolutely. So they chat. They try to figure out what to do. And as they discuss, Apprentice says, Hell Egg. There's a Hell Egg in the hills. That's what Lord Black was trying to say. And his and Catherine tells us, my teacher's title sounded almost sardonic in his mouth because he was more used to calling him Uncle Amadeus. And Catherine says she finds the idea of Black being anyone's uncle utterly horrifying. And I just gotta say... As an uncle myself, that I find Amadeus of the Green Stretch to be mad avuncular. Like, he absolutely has the tertiary caregiver, authoritative playmate style of interaction with almost everyone. Plus, he's really short, like all of the uncles in this call are. You know, there must be some kind of priestly ward protecting you, because otherwise, I would extract my revenge. Uh, yep, priestly ward. Great, great segue. Um... Uh, uh, Masego is giving us a bit of information on hell eggs here. Uh, you know, they're demon eggs, but not literally eggs. They're usually flags. Regardless, we, there's a few here scattered throughout Callow, and he lets us know that um, when it comes that there, there's an imperial policy regarding hell eggs when there are, uh, when specifically, I guess, Callowans, but probably also Procerns are involved. And that if there's a priestly ward protecting a, a hell egg, imperial policy is to just leave it alone. There's this, you know, Precy is definitely at war with good. It's, you know, the Dread Empire. But they do understand that when it comes to, I don't know, infernal containment, demonic containment, they, the priests know their business and we'll just let them handle it so that we don't have to get all tangled up in demon things. And I, I appreciate that practicality. I mean, I can't imagine that that policy would ever go wrong. Neither can I. Thank you for... Wrong. So, oh, dang. we find out here that, apparently, Dread Empress Triumphant... Oh, I'm sorry. May she never return. ...dropped a demon on lore itself. Oops. It was a demon of madness, and in the wake of what Catherine calls that particular abomination of a war tactic... Nine inhabitants out of ten had died, including the entire royal line. And I'm just really satisfied here that we've got some of my kind of decimation. Again, I know what the word means, but, you know, how about we make it desa, as everyone's favorite Red Empress did. What I took away from this is only nine out of ten? That's kind of impressive. Ooh. Like, ten percent of the people in a city that had a demon dropped on it survived uh, that's impressive and i like those odds you know like let's say you're a family of four you got a solid one in ten thousand chance of everyone surviving 
that's very bad, but you know, demon. Actually, the I'd suspect the survival to be localized to pockets yeah, rather than. It, I don't. It, I don't think it's probably the case that a random selection of ninety percent of the people just died. No. Although madness, yeah. maybe. Yeah, like a sufficiently chaotic thing is a very good randomizer. Hard to say. Regardless. On top of, wow, that's a lot of people dead, and wow, also it's impressive that anyone survived, the next step in that is they didn't just abandon Lar after that. They like The city still exists, and they is rebuilt and is functioning. That seems like the kind of thing where you just say, no, we're done with this city, thank you. And I'm willing to bet that that's something that wouldn't happen in Praise. Well, hmm. That's something that I'm willing to bet would be very differently done in Praise. Because in Callow... You know what? Yeah, maybe you can reclaim the demon tainted, even though they leave indelible, permanent, unspeakable wounds on creation. But at least the kingdom of good can kind of return priests first and purge what can be purged. I suppose priests might rebuild a city over an open gash in the very fabric of creation explicitly for the open gash. But mm -hmm. really, the more different we think we are, the more similar we are. What are the differences between Callow and Praise? Aren't we all people? Wow, that's deep. Thank you for sharing that. Other than those filthy goblins. Well, yeah, but uh, but in the question here by Catherine is is this a madness demon? And Masego give us gives us a little bit of information on demons generally. He says it has to be absence or corruption. All the others are accounted for. So there's just one of each type of demon. Period. They're fully unique. And we know where most of them are. That, that That's pretty neat. Pretty interesting. I would think, reading this, that it's that all of the hell eggs are accounted for. Ah, uh, that makes sense, too. All right. Now I have to try to figure out what demons we see later. I mean, if we see any demons later, let's find out. There are no spoilers in this podcast. Of course. Radface is going to get killed all of a sudden, kind of soonish. And extremely off screen. Yay. And to learn more about that... Listen to our interview with E.E. E. He has thoughts on it. He's considered this series a fair bit. I do like that he is able to narrow it down to corruption, simply because they remember why they need to have the conversation at all. Demons of absence are horrifying. Uh -huh. Apparently, people think at least that an absence demon was the reason the entire Yante Empire had no mention of it anywhere during two centuries. And then had suddenly reappeared in the histories. Nobody had even noticed it was gone, or that anything had been missing at all. And that gets me, because demons are a huge deal. Sure, yeah, whatever. Demons can take out an entire capital city, even one filled with priests. Sure, yeah, whatever. The Ante Empire is not Colernia, which is nothing. And potentially, supposedly, maybe, maybe an absence demon was enough to disappear the empire and not to use gendered yep. language but dude on top of that disappeared temporarily meaning it wasn't just annihilated and then forgotten about it was around it existed and was forgotten like it was actively doing things and you, you, you one has to assume it continued existing as an empire because after those two centuries now we know about it because it's you know like it, it's not just destruction it's abs it's it's just not present for a bit or permanently demons are weird i wonder if we ever find out more on the origins of demons 
and where they come from. Don't they come from, like, wizard's arms? Demons? Not even once? Okay. So, as they try to figure out why the demon been liberated, they narrow down the culprit to, Catherine suggests, Eris. She says that the lone swordsman is a first-rate prick, but he's not the demon-summoning type. And so, yeah, he, he is not the demon-summoning type. I agree. He, he's a little too black and white for that. Angels, on the other hand. Yeah. How many people in lore were killed during the Madness Demon? Oh, you know, a good 90%. How many people in Lease would be turned into unwilling revenant soldiers in the wake of contrition? You know, a, a handful, a, a solid handful even. So yeah, not comparable. Is it contrition? I know he's contrition. Probably then? We'll see if anyone corrects you. All right. But Catherine then supposes that probably no one else on the rebel side would have the ability to break wards good enough to hold back a demon. Yeah. And knowing what she knows, I'd agree. But knowing what we know, Uba just kind of kicked some chalk. And I absolutely adore the idea that Catherine knows that and doesn't think any of the rebels are smart enough to kick some chalk. Honestly, given some of the rebels... I'm not <laughs> sure she's wrong. I mean, okay, you're you're letting Billiam outsized place in the story cloud your vision. I'm sure there's some very intelligent rebels out there. Like Viv. What? She's just some lowly thief girl. Probably okay. even uneducated. You're right. I shouldn't have said her name. Like Thief. Oh, yeah. Or, no, not the bard. She's a drunk. Right. She could never and, have plans or reasoning. And not the conjurer. He would have tripped and missed the chalk. Well. I would love to read about the conjurer trying to summon the demon. It might work. Yeah. But uh Yeah. But Hune asks a what seems to be a pretty good question, if you don't know who Eris is at all. Uh in response to Kat saying it's probably Eris, Hune blinks and says she's an imperial citizen. We are in the middle of a military of mil we are in the middle of military operations against a threat to Precy hegemony. There's this, like, Hune's asking, why would she sabotage this? And I think Hune missing the larger picture here is maybe, maybe fully explains why Catherine just absolutely detests Hune and wants her to die, which I basically how I remember their relationship functioning. Hune is giving Eris the benefit of the doubt here, and that's a no-no. You're saying there's only one kind of benefit said Catherine wants Aquia to have, and she's the only one allowed to give it to her. That is exactly what I was saying. I thank you for reading between the lines. Kat's answer to this, though, is incredible. Because she said, oh, she wants to bleed the 15th, or discredit us, or, you know, she offers a couple explanations, and then says she's only invested in putting down the rebellion insofar as it advances her own position. And if that isn't just the black 3.0 pot calling the normal kettle black because holy cow Catherine, you did the whole rebellion and then are also putting it down specifically so that you can gain power <laughs> like ease up here yeah but she's not you know sahelian okay fair point actually juniper is upset by everything which is the appropriate reaction to a demon mm -hmm. but she says trust a human to ruin a perfectly good war <laughs> juniper growls <laughs> yep no offense meant, Aisha, which is so cute. It's very Catherine, Catherine notices that rat face 
didn't even get that much of an apology. And it amuses her greatly. And I'm amused that she doesn't even recognize, oh, wait, I'm half human. It kind of applies to me. I think she recognized nope. that, that Juniper is acknowledging her other half here and letting her in on the right side of the warmongering. Her other half? Cormac? Okay. So, how bad are demons? Answer? Yes. So, apparently, demons of corruption have something of a range, an aura, and the area they can affect grows over time. But the tower has anecdotal evidence implying that even from the first contact, it can carry over several miles. And several is vague, but let's lowball it, if not the extreme lowest you could go. I think you could, in some worlds, excuse it too, but that doesn't feel really several to me. That's no. You thought it could be more, and you ended up being lower than you thought. So we'll say three. So if the corruption aura is even a three-mile aura, then that's 30 square miles from the moment of apparition. And that's intense. Do you think that's why they say that most car accidents happen within 25 miles of your house or whatever? Because of the demon of corruption there? That makes a lot of sense. I thought so. I think it might actually be within five miles of your house. <laughs> demon of corruption range. That's right. And frankly, I think automobiles as a whole are something of a demon of corruption, if you will. Are you implying that our hero, Mr. Ford himself, is a demon of corruption? Present tense, apparently. I mean, there's a reason that Nixon turned out like that. Okay. Or, I, I just, that depends upon a certain knowledge of American history, which I realize is often well understood in many places and ways and times and such. But just to be clear, Henry Ford was a car guy. Gerald Ford was the vice president of Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick, who was a disgusting man who actually got so in trouble he left office and had his vice president take over. And I conflated the two. And it was very funny. And Richard Nixon is dead now, which is also pretty funny. So they tried to measure this once. And by they, I mean a warlock. Because, of course, the best magic person will do the big magic research. And the warlock who tried it went mad, says Apprentice, while trying to write down the numbers. And three floors of the tower had to be torched before the things that formed could spread any further. Going mad while writing it down? Okay, sure. Right? We've got them. Things are forming from things that the tower had to fight to contain formed in the wake of attempting to understand the corruption. That's really cool and a really cool info hazard. And oh, it's important to mention here, not to understand the corruption, but simply to measure how far the corruption goes. This is just uh, uh, surveying. It's, it's simply how far did the corruption reach? And that was enough to ruin a person and part of the tower. Go ahead. Is this how Heisenberg's uncertainty principle works? Yep. I always thought that, you know, you simply could not measure the position of something and its velocity. But actually, is it that you dare not measure both? For once you do, woe, woe be upon you? I think just sort of the, the reach of corruption is pretty rough because we get a bit more information that it can uh, the corruption can actually travel along magic itself. So just kind of woe in general, not not the cool woe that we learn that sort of form later, but just woe on actually everybody. 
No, actually, thanks to Steeman, a little bit more will be upon us. You'll you'll see. Oh, okay. There, there's this like, okay, so there's there's this girl, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she, you know, it it's great. It two people here are going to kind of date her simultaneously, but they're cool with it. But only one of them's actually dating her. But I think you can say that the other's kind of dating her. Or is that kind of viewpoint dating me? Do we not look at relationships in that way anymore? They're just talking. Situationship. <laughs> so Nock realizes that they can't just march a whole legion against the demon because that will not work. And he says, fine, if numbers don't work, we can still solve this the way the 15th deals with most problems. Now, I know you think I might be setting this up for a joke about haha goblin fire. But no, what he actually says is we've still got goblin fire. The 15th has done one thing. And it worked. It's not a sustainable way to deal with your problems. Are you sure? It's not like they can just goblin fire their way through everything. What, Catherine's going to goblin fire the tower down? Absurd. I mean, what can I say? Have have problem will goblin fire. And I think that's the 15th motto, right? I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I read it. Goblin fire? I hardly know where. One of your weaker ones, honestly. Thank you. So the discussion moves on with what some various options are. You know, the aforementioned, it works on magic, so Z's has to be very careful in how he interacts here. Juniper says we can retreat, which is what we're supposed to do here. Um, however... Which is a very, very good piece of <laughs> yeah, Legion doctrine. Absolutely. Legions can't expect to have the kind of personnel to deal with this in them. The 15th is unique. Not unique. The 15th doesn't really have the personnel to deal with this. Oh, there's two named. Three named, actually. Regardless, Cat is... Or Juniper says that there's a certain chokehold they can reach uh, to the Ford within four days. No problem. We can use that as our, our choke point to get some further instructions from people who, you know, can make decisions about demons. And Cat doesn't say, oh, you're forgetting something. We have to do this other... Rather, she just assumes that Juniper has made a mistake in estimating how fast the legions can move. She says, oh, we won't be able to go that fast. The people of Marchford are civilians. They can't keep that kind of pace. Kat just steps in and is making it the line here. The civilians are coming with us. Not, hey, we need to take them, or just so you know, we're like the assumption on Kat's side is the civilians are coming. And you know what? Good for her. Very good for her. But also, rough as it is, I would not fault anyone here from saying, well, they got to keep up because th- th- there's a demon coming. Yeah, that's what, what you're going to do. That's entirely fair. Emergencies are rough times, but they have to make a decision. And the way they do it is by after Catherine making the decision, moving around the room to indicate how much they support the decision that they're already bound to because she's in charge. Yeah, but when it comes to the eventual woe and her friends who are officers, Kat does like to not too heavily put her, throw her weight around. Like she doesn't want to just issue orders that somebody is very opposed to. Obviously she's in charge and everybody knows it, but she does hesitate in moments like this because she doesn't want to ruin the relationships and the trust. However, the way this plays out is people just taking sides literally with a couple people moving to stand by Catherine and other people staying by Juniper, it's kind of just an awkward stare down. However, this scene What is... would you even do? Like, no, we're saying by Juniper. We should mutiny against Cat. 
I'm not saying they're proposing it. It's just an indication no. of feelings. But yeah, they, they're they're taking stances for the discussion. I, I don't think they're saying do this or we quit or you know, you're mutiny or whatever. Uh, regardless, though, the the it's cool because what happens here is Aisha doesn't say anything. Hune kind of stays to one side and but seems to be agreeing with Juniper here. Um, but Without a word, Nock moves around the table and stands by Kat's side, and then Pickler curses softly and then does the same. Obviously, we don't need to worry about Hawkroom. We know where Hawkroom's going to land on this. Z's just leans back and enjoys the, the show. But it's cool because, you know, I don't want to be weird about this, but the two people who come to stand by Catherine are an orc and a goblin. And Catherine is the save the innocent people side. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to say like, ah, we expect orcs and goblins to be evil and want to eat people because they can. There's just, we have the orc and the goblin who are, in a lot of ways, big on war, big on chaos and destruction. Like they they are, they have a culture that kind of likes these sort of things. You know, there's nuance to it, we've, we've discussed. But when it comes down to it, obviously they're people and they have a, a an opinion on things like, no, we shouldn't leave a whole city to die to a demon of corruption, actually. That would be bad. I just like that. I just I just like that the the way that this splits up sees Nock, who is Mr. Red Rage, saying, yeah, let's protect people, actually. Just... Nothing... Hmm? No, go ahead. Nothing gets me more fervent and excited than a coalition of the downtrodden. And that's what I'm choosing to look at this as. I respect that. The downtrodden or, of many par- large parts of the senior leadership of a legion. Yeah, you know, All take right. what you can get. Fair. For a better look at a coalition of the downtrodden, look up the British film Pride about the coal miner pro- coal miner protests in the age of Thatcher, or learn more about Fred Hampton's Black Panthers because was cool. I gotta say, we're sixty-one episodes in now. And you've kind of just ruined our. Po- you said you said her name on here, like. Oh, may she never return. Yeah, I guess that's good enough. I wish. I I sincerely wish. Oh, I so wish that we could prevent that return. So Catherine presents. She makes no arguments. She presents arguments. It would be a public relations disaster. It would fuel the demon dangers. They have a responsibility to deal with it, but no. That's not why I'm making this decision, she says. There are, there are 8,000 innocents in Marchford, Juniper. I refuse to abandon them. And no cap fam. But this is the first unabashedly and unqualifiedly good deed Catherine has ever done. She's done other good deeds, but they are abashed and or qualified. But here she has no qualification. And the bashing isn't until next chapter. And it comes after Billiam's good deed he gets one first and if that doesn't just make you think wow who's the really real puts hero? it all into perspective it does definitionally william actually oh yeah he is the real that's hero. not right. <laughs> that's fair words definitions and relationships nuances are always fun i agree and by being aware of that you get to get through so many arguments no no yeah william is a hero that's not necessarily a good thing even if it is a good thing hey here is art that's really offensive. So is it really art? Yeah, of course. Art can be offensive. Art can be bad and dumb. Who cares? It's still art. Ask a different question if you want a meaningful answer. This practical guide to evil. Is it art? Yeah. Is it bad and dumb? No. 
Wow. Thank you for taking a bold stance on this podcast. I, you know, we, I feel like we play it safe too often and, you know, we're really trying to cater to the, the broadest possible population. So I really appreciate when you're willing to just step forward and take a stance that's going to honestly make some people angry. I can take bold stances. Here's a bold stance. There is no reason to use pillows when you sleep. Catherine. What? 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 <laughs> I, okay. If you had said pillows are unnecessary, that's one thing. But to say there's no reason to use them is unbelievably absurd. I don't own a pillow, therefore no one should. But there's a reason to use one, even if it's not like a necessary thing for most people. I'm sure there are people for whom pillows are a medical thing, like a necessary. Oh, absolutely. But, but generally speaking, even if it even there is a reason to have a pillow, and it's more comfortable sleeping for for most people. No, no, no. I don't find that to be the case, and therefore there's no reason for anyone to use a pillow. If I don't have a pillow, then I'm listen. I'm an old man. If I don't have a pillow, then I wake up with a bad back. I have not suffered from back pain. In my life. I, I'm not going to start now. Lo- losing a pillow, if I, oh, mm, I can have one pillow. Missing pillows turns me into middle-aged Larry Bird, who just did a, a driveway. My back is gone and my career is over. I, I don't think you understand how important pillows are for me to have a comfortable night. For non-American viewers, Larry Bird was a cartoon Blue Jay. Popular in the same era as the Jetsons, Flintstones, Yogi Bear. And he hurt his back on a driveway once, and it was hilarious, apparently. A little before my time. Catherine, however, after making a solid argument of, hey, here are a bunch of good arguments, and also, I've made the decision, then undercuts herself by saying something immensely stupid. And that is, if this was Aksum or Catan we were talking about, I don't think anybody would be arguing about how we should or shouldn't be feeding 8,000 people to a demon. And I mean... Yeah. Hi, Lady Sahelian! Hi, Lady Sahelian! Thalassina is about to be blown up by the Warlock's final curse. Oh, nice. Also, I'm going to shoot you because you're a messenger, and I do that. Yeah, that checks out. Kat's able to kind of turn the corner on this argument, though, because the rebuttal to it is Aisha stepping in and saying, you know, basically that it's different because Marchford rebelled against the tower, which gives Kat the opening to say, so did every city in the wasteland at some point. Not even 50 years ago, two thirds of the High Lords were backing the bid for the throne of the Empress's sworn enemy. So honestly, while she started off pretty weak with, wouldn't you care if these were Precy? Aisha kind of like gave, lobbed her a softball for her to just absolutely smash it because, yeah, saying that, <laughs> saying that the problem is that they're rebels is pretty goofy. Catherine does, however, throw bad words after good because she says, the eyes of the rest of Colernia are on us. So tell me, all of you, are we hypocrites or not? Which is just a weird moral argument in a very practical class, practical situation. And well, I don't I think just... I don't think it's supposed to be a moral argument. The eyes of the rest of Colernia are on us, talking about tower policy and who is technically pricey. I don't think she's saying, "Are we hypocrites?" Personally, I think she's making this like a geopolitical point. Are we going to be hypocrites in the eyes, in like the political eyes of Proser and the Free Cities? Is this going to be a weakness of pricey policy? Neglecting to mention that. They are dirt and prosperized, no matter what. Well, yeah, but that doesn't help her case. Of course, you know, that puts him on even footing with 
other Prosserans in the first Prosseran eyes, they they do not like each other. Fair. And uh, Nock takes perhaps the wrong thing away from this argument. He's still with Catherine, but he so he votes not. We're not hypocrites. And then says, doesn't matter who we fight. The, he says, doesn't matter who we fight, Hellhound. The 15th wins. That's all there is to it. And like, Nock, I know your heart's in the right place here, and I know you didn't want to leave behind the innocence. That said, this isn't about fighting the demon and winning, my friend. <laughs> That's not what this argument is about. And I'm a little concerned that he thinks that the that this argument has turned into, actually, we're going to go toe-to-toe with the demon and punch it to death. It's just... He just immediately is like, yeah, let's go fight this thing. It is, it's, it's very fun. I, I, uh, Nock is just a special boy. I hope your affection for him never gets burned. Anyway, Pickler says, I've always been curious to find, I've always been curious as to whether a trebuchet can kill a demon. And in others, I'd read that as gallows humor. Well, we're going to fight this demon. So, you know, I've always been curious about that. I'm, you know, I'm verbally showing my readiness despite the situation. No. This is Pickler. She has always been curious about whether a trebuchet can kill a demon, and she is going to do her darndest to find out. She's legitimately thinking, hey, I get to test out if a trebuchet hurts a demon. Which, you know what? Worth knowing. They sign on one by one. Everyone's down for it. Radface makes a really sad line about wanting to live to collect his pension. and um, But then it becomes Hockram's turn, and Catherine looks at him, and he shrugs. Do you even have to ask? A champion among men. Juniper consents, ultimately. And the way she consents is saying, we set a pace before moving out. Anybody who can't keep up gets left behind. Which, as I said, Very reasonable. Yeah, extremely reasonable, honestly. And Catherine's reaction is to accept this, because it's the best she can get. But her phrasing is, this was, I knew, as far as I'd be able to bend her neck. Catherine, you're going for all of this. I'm taking your thoughts into account. I want to include you. I want you to see the reason in this. And then all of a sudden, well, that's as far as I can bend Juniper's neck. Can't leash her too tightly or she'll fight against it. Like, cool it. Do you think orcs have particularly bendy necks? I don't think I imagine them very necky, but now I'm choosing to. I imagine them pretty necky, but more in a width rather than length. Fair. But now I'm choosing to imagine them more... More like... Worm alert. Victoria, after a certain inc- incident in Worm, I'm I'm looking to find a word like ovine earth sign relating to giraffes or swans. I'm not really getting. No, I want giraffes specifically. Okay. Their family name is Giraffidae. Their genus is Giraffa. I know it's fake Latin. Maybe it should be giraffe. Grow up. It's not real Latin. And their binomial name is Giraffa camelopardalis. So. I'm not imagining orcs to be somewhat camel. I'm imagining orcs to be somewhat camelopardine. Hey. And that's how they're so tall. Uh, I don't know. Oh, and they're they're so tall, but they need the bendy neck so they can reach down to get the corpses. They're grazing animals. Actually, they do- grazing only applies to grass. When you get other things like twigs or corpses, then it becomes browsing. Orcs are browsing animals. And I'm not and using animals. Re- I'm not using animal like Billiam does. I just like living creatures to be clear i'm not i'm not gross yeah william's a very beast he's a beast of a man that's better which is a it it is better what do you call an individual animal names you can be expressing an opinion it might not be nice but it's not a wholly problematic thing unless it's going into 
like race stereotypes or something. When you call a people group animal of any kind. that Yeah, that's not good. Genocides are preceded by verminous designation much of the time, including some of the current ones, which is horrifying. Yes, it's very bad. But you know it's very good. Uh, what's very good? Your next point. Oh, yeah. We get some... Uh... We get something we haven't seen in a little bit. There's some concerns about, can infantry catch us? Could, but cataphracts could. Back and forth, we, you know, we're a little concerned about the wounded. And Cat clenches her fingers. Which is number 16. That's old enough to a number of things in a number of places. Wow, good point. Did you know? That even though it's basically illegal to drink until you're retired in the United States, we have a relatively young driving age. I guess I did not know that. I'd like to raise the driving age to it doesn't exist because cars are demons of corruption. Wow. And Catherine goes off to get the wounded and leaves her officers to get everyone ready for the evacuation. The problem is foreseen by Aisha, who says there will be riots. And we'll ha- without your skills in diffusing those, we have fewer options to deal with them. And Catherine closes her eyes and says, Marchford is under martial law. Do what you have to. Which, much like Juniper's escape plan, rough, but like... Yeah? Yeah. This is a... I'm not big on martial law, but this feels like a pretty good no. place for it. Martial law is not great. However, if there is a place to use it, it's in saving everyone's life. So Catherine rides out with some troops, and one of the officers accompanying her is Tribune Gallia. Gala. Gala. Gallia. I'm old. I need to zoom in. Tribune Gallia. And she's an orc, nearly as tall as Hakram, so she's a giant, with skin a shade of green so dark it bordered on black. Nifty. I did not know orcs went so dark. How fun. Yeah, neither did I. I thought you read this before. It's... Uh, is this the part where we admit mm, we actually never read this book before? It would be so great if we could just say, actually, this is the first read, and we're barely doing that. We're just sort of guessing at what happens. We're very good at guessing. Maybe. We'll find out. Uh, though, we can't be too good at guessing because our world doesn't work the same way. Catherine's world works in stories and tropes and such. And when Gallia asks Catherine whether there's been a sign of the enemy... Catherine replies, Apprentice said it was only a possibility. Could be the demon's not strong enough to be a threat so quickly. Uh, she just damned them all. She, she made it happen. She basically pulled out a horn, and uh, like a bullhorn, and announced, We're over here, come get us. It's horrifying. Catherine. Like, she she l- learns more, but oh, this is, this is so bad. And it gets worse, because uh, devil, yeah. devils show up. It's it's truly <laughs> diabolical. <laughs> wow. Oh, like the TV show The Boys, how the the guy says that all the time. Exactly. Good uh, speaking of boys, there's a new boy here. Ooh. A firefly flying around turns out to be a duder. And this duder is the size of a man with large and long legs ending in feet pointing both ways that were adorned with claws looking like iron hooks. It bared iron teeth at me, rustling its red-brown fur as it jumped. My sword cleared its scabbard before I even thought of it, and I ducked under, blades striking at its body as it flew over me. She yells ambush, and then she notices that, though she sliced the creature, there was no blood, because it's a devil. 
And it says to her in Mthethwa, Little girl, I mean no harm. Which is mad creepy. That's so good. It's excellent. That little girl is... So in Into the Woods, Stephen Sondheim's musical uh, about fairy tales, Little Red Riding Hood is going to her grandmother's house, and she encounters a wolf who means her harm. And the wolf has a lot of very deliberate, a salty overtone in the way he acts. But his creepy, creepy song is Hello, Little Girl. Because Little Girl is the creepiest thing. Yeah, it's a, I mean, especially talking to, let me double check here. Yep, an adult. However, unlike Little Red, who in the traditional story listens to the wolf and then dies for it, Mm -hmm. Catherine has a reply ready. The devil says, I mean no harm, and Catherine says, I do. It's so good. And she swings for its eyes. It's so good. That is the way to do it. So everyone out there, if anyone calls you little girl at any point, even affectionately and kindly in a way you've established in your relationship, swing for their eyes. Yeah, that sounds about right. However, with that, we are unfortunately out of time for today. Aw, join us next time on Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Rod as we discuss... Terror. Anger. And hunger. Yeah, I could go for a snack. Wade in their blood. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Reddit is a fan-made podcast discussing Erratic Reddit as a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at practicalguidetoevil.wordpress.com. Intro music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the Upgraph was Electronic by Danic 70 Outro music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is the price of freedom by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this work possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Long Price. Do you have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash pgtee. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name. Receive personalized stories and art and access at least one patron-exclusive tangent. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and villainous hero, Gray, our patron and Guardian, the Fae Knight, our patron and mentor, the Traveling Teacher, our patron and dear friend Aaron, our patron and inspiration, the Hopeful Romantic, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, Chapter 23, Defeat. Listen, if we can get Jeanette McCurdy to co-star a podcast with us, then we'll do whatever, obviously.